Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. I'm super excited to be sitting down with my guest today. This is a woman who's used her own personal pain as a catalyst for growth, and she's passionate about helping others transcend their self-imposed limiting beliefs, deconstruct the American dream, and achieve their highest version of soul activation. My guest is an entrepreneur, podcast host, author, and inspirational speaker. She's the founder of Soul Media, which is a conscious media company that inspires authentic and meaningful connection, the host of the Badass Soul Collective podcast, which I was recently a guest on, and she's the founder of Soul Women's Collective, a global network created to help activate spiritual growth and empower women who are empowering other women. In other words, this is a girl right up my alley, a woman after my own heart. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Emily Ghosh-Harris. Emily, yay! <laughs> like, people, there should be like roaring applause. <laughs> I know. Well, thank you for that amazing intro. I am so excited to be here. I am so excited too. So a couple months ago, Emily and I had the privilege of connecting as she interviewed me for the Soul Collective podcast. And as we moved through that interview, it was like we were looking in a mirror. There was, even though we had radically different um, upbringings on opposite coasts. There were so many parallels and it was just one of those interviews where, you know, I kept getting lit up with the chills and feeling like such divine connection. Um, And it was, it was really beautiful. It was at a pivotal point in this, in my own journey with the divine feminine, which has been a huge part of Emily's story too. Um, So I think one of the things that we bonded on most, Emily, was like, yeah, those adolescent years were pretty fucked up, (laughs) right? Amen. (laughs) Um, So I would love to hear about your upbringing because it was really different than mine. And And I think it has to do with this topic of deconstructing the American dream, which is something that no matter where you come from, all of us need to do as we examine if the values and the goals that we're pursuing are actually ours, or if there's something that that was sold to us that we were conditioned into. So can you share with us a little bit about your background? Where, who are you? Where are you from? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I grew up with a lot of pain, a lot of shame, and a lot of feeling that I wasn't enough. Um, I grew up in a really loving and loyal family, but in my childhood, it was really dysfunctional. And, you know, my dad is a immigrant from Calcutta, India, um, one of, you know, the poorest places in the world. And he came to the United States. He met my mom, who is from Connecticut. 
And my parents did the absolute best that they could. And they instilled a lot of amazing values in me, like hard work and loyalty. Um, but at the same time, they were dealing with their own stuff, right? Like all parents are. My mom was suffering from severe depression um, when I was a child. And my, my father had sort of a lot of anger issues that he was kind of working through. So my environment as a child was, there was a lot of yelling, there was a lot of crying. And as an empath, I'm a very empathic person. And I just, I couldn't make sense of all of that sort of chaotic emotion around me. It was too much for me. And, you know, kind of on top of that, I grew up in a really small town in Massachusetts, um, you know, really amazing in some ways, but I was one of maybe four minorities in my town. And so I just never felt comfortable in my skin. And I think I was always kind of searching for that. I always felt like I needed to wear a mask to fit in. And that is kind of a storyline that perpetuated throughout my, my adulthood and in, into my career. Um, I had a twin brother. Um, I have a twin brother. And he, it, neither one of us remember a ton from our childhoods because I think we intentionally blocked out a lot of the pain and a lot of the trauma. Um, but he kind of went more in childhood, more of like the rebellious route, like getting into drugs and stuff like that. And I was on the surface, like the role that I played was sort of putting, keeping it all together, like being the people pleaser, um, kind of going towards external achievement. And I found that I could kind of get attention and get rewarded when I would do something kind of quote unquote good. So I learned to check the boxes. That was kind of, you know, my jam. And what I became really, really good at was masking a tremendous amount of pain and making it look like everything looked perfect on the outside. And I think anybody that's out there that's listening to this, um, you know, that can be almost more dangerous than having, you know, a complete meltdown because you're holding it together so tightly that it really takes a crisis to unravel that facade. Mm -hmm. And it, <laughs> it did over time, but you know, that, that took some time. And so meanwhile, I kind of spent my life sort of checking the boxes, um, you know, excelling in school. I got my MBA. I was president of my class. I, you know, started out in the working world and I always, you know, was trusted with a tremendous amount of responsibility, you know, whether it was running a business at age 21 for an absentee, absentee business owner, um, just getting promoted in different roles. I always took on a tremendous amount of responsibility and I kind of, you know, worked around the clock and I was okay with that. You know, that was one of the things that, I really appreciated from my parents. My mom, you know, was valedictorian. And so she was always kind of had that striving mentality. Um, and my father, you know, really did achieve the American dream coming to the United States and providing for his family, you know, and I know we'll, we'll get into that, but that was my model. So I knew hard work. I knew how to, you know, get succeed, succeed and get sort of external recognition for that. 
And, um, you know, I had a series of relationships that really sort of appeared like glamorous and fun and, you know, traveling all the world around the world, you know, lots of music and fun um, experiences. And so I was really focused on this external reality without going within. And I know similar to your story, you know, there was a lot of addiction and addiction to Adderall, uh, addiction to overworking, um, addiction to just distracting, like keeping mm -hmm. myself sort of numb from any doing anything but feeling that emotion. Mm -hmm. So I want to unpack that a little bit in terms of your family dynamic growing up. Was it just you, your brother, and your parents? Just the four it, of you? It was, yep. So when you look at your role in the family, kind of from a zoomed out perspective or from maybe even a more spiritual perspective, and you can see that your mom was dealing with great pain and great sadness, and you can see that your, see that your dad was dealing with anger, which most likely was also covering up either fear or anxiety or um, you know, some other emotion, some other pain. And then there was you and your brother and you stepped into this role. This is something I'm curious about is that we, we play a specific role in our family and it sounds like yours was the peacekeeper and the, um, the celebrant, right? Like you're like, no, look, everything's okay. I'm doing good in school. Like everything's good. We can all be happy. And you, you learned to be probably the, the balm for your parents' spirit by keeping that happy face on, right? Like, let me not contribute. Let me not bring any more pain to this equation. So I'll just bury my own. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It felt like too much to add in my pain and my emotions to the equation. And also as a little child, I really didn't understand depression. Like I, I looked at my mom and, you know, she went to Harvard and she was valedictorian and, you know, she had a successful career and, you know, she, you know, everybody sort of idolizes their, their parents. And so I really couldn't understand the sadness. And for me, it, it seemed selfish. Um, of course, you know, now I understand through my own journey with mental health, you know, it's not mental health has nothing to do with you know, your children are an external reality. It really is, you know, your own world that your inner world that you're dealing with. And that was one of the most beautiful things that I sort of witnessed throughout the course of my life is just the possibility of change. Um, when you were growing up, were you proud of your parents? Were you embarrassed by your parents? Did you kind of not really think about them? Um, that's a great question. So I grew up a Hindu. So that means my dad's Hindu, my mom's Jewish, and I grew up in a completely all white town. Um, and I think that I, I faced a lot of sort of discrimination and racism. And I think just as a child, I really wanted to fit in, you know, I wanted to look like everyone else. And so it just, for me, it was like, oh, my parents are different. And on top of this, it felt like they weren't that happy. So yes, am I extremely proud of my parents? They are amazing and they have accomplished so much 
in their lifetimes. And, and really like one of the biggest things is change is the inner work is the spiritual journey that they've both been on and which has been a wonderful model for me. Um, but you know, as a kid, you know, it's hard to understand that as much. And so I definitely had some shame of just, you know, not feeling like everything was flowing and, um, super happy. What were some of the ways that you tried to fit in or kind of whitewash your own, you know, ethnic or cultural background? Was your dad, uh, did your dad bring like elements of his culture, like Indian culture? Cause he's a first generation immigrant, right? How old was he when he moved? He was in his thirties. My parents met yeah. in grad school. Yeah. Okay. So he was here for school. Wow. Okay. So both of your parents were highly intelligent academics. Yeah. yeah. Real smart. Yeah. All right. So what were some of the ways that you felt yourself trying to fit in as a child or as a teen? You mentioned performance, you mentioned achieving in school, but what were some of the ways specifically that you noticed yourself as a minority? You said one of four in a small town. That's a pretty specific number. <laughs> what were some of the ways that you observed yourself trying to fit in that as you grew older, you were able to to look at and find compassion for yourself or be able to just witness um, that perhaps that was painful for you. Yeah. You know, I think my, my biggest thing is that I didn't really embrace the richness of both of my parents' cultures and heritages. And um, that's one thing that I feel like is such a blessing to come from diversity and I mean, adversity and, um, and diversity. diversity. Diversity and diversity. <laughs> exactly. And, and I mean, really, it makes us who we are, you know, it really does. And so, um, but at the time, I definitely didn't embrace that. And I embraced, you know, just kind of um, the culture of, of the community that I was a part of, um, which was more, you know, Catholic and um, you know, Caucasian and, and things like that. And so it wasn't about, you know, going to explore or really dive in. Um, that, that is something that I, I wanted to, you know, explore later on in my life. Did you like start going to church? Did you, you're, you have the most beautiful, like bronze, like golden skin. And like, did you like dye your hair blonde? Were you like, was it extreme at any point that you were trying to like kind of whitewash yourself into that culture? Or was it just always this existential experience of feeling like, I know I look different and people are, you said, you know, people were pointing that out to you. Do you have any recollection of like a specific instance where you became really aware that, oh, maybe there's something different about my family or me? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the name calling for sure was, was a thing. And I, I remember like praying to have like lighter skin so that I wouldn't be, you know, pin. Uh, pinpointed or, or name called or kind of like bullied growing up. And so um, I definitely remember that. I didn't do anything. Like I didn't dye my hair blonde. You I didn't do the Michael Jackson, <laughs> like try to bleed your face. <laughs> Something like that. That's good. Cause you're stunning. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember being eight years old and I was chubby growing up, you know, I was a little bit overweight and really smart. And I remember being eight years old on picture day and somebody as I was walking across the stage, one of the kids yelled out, 
thunder thighs. And I just started bawling. And then my face was all red and blotchy in the picture. And I've had how many picture days in my life or how many times my photos were taken. And that's the one I remember. You know what I mean? Like I remember it. It was such vivid detail. And we carry these things. We carry these insults and we carry the ways in which our body, you know, has been weaponized against us, even when it's just, you know, it's just verbal when we're young. So as you grew up and you went into your adolescent years and then your college years, um, you were a high achiever, just, I mean, definitely took after your parents that way, striving in school. You said you got an MBA and then you were traveling, traveling the world. And I want to hear more about this because all I was like, it was fun and there was dancing and then a little bit later and like, and also addicted to Adderall. So like, what was going on? When was the Adderall addiction? Was that through grad school? Was that when you were traveling the world? Tell us about your descent into, into what could have been a very fun addiction, but tell us about this, this time <laughs> um, and how those things go together if they do. Yeah. So, I mean, there were definitely fun years for sure. I mean, I think like grad, around grad school and getting out, it was more of kind of like party times, like really enjoying that freedom and, and just kind of carefree lifestyle. I've always gravitated towards uh, musicians. I'm actually incidentally now married to a musician, but um, you know, I, I definitely had a period where I was traveling around um, with you know, touring involved and, and kind of like that type of lifestyle with lots I want of- the details. Tell me yeah. more. I mean, <laughs> you don't have to name drop if there's name dropping to be had, but like, were you employed? Was this just a time that you were like a little bebopping around little, what do they call them? A roadie? I think that's not a roadie. <laughs> I don't know the culture. So help me out here. What were you yeah. doing? Yeah, it's it's funny because I always a was groupie. Sort of, that's the word. A groupie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I've always been able to like maintain sort of like the two two aspects of like this really really wild carefree, you know, fun free spirit inside, and then the very professional, serious, responsible. Mm -hmm. And that was like even more magnified, I think, during those years. I mean, I, I had a corporate job and I was, um, you know, doing well, but I also had the freedom to be able to travel and really enjoy going to festivals and kind of having more of that adventurous. Um... Did you do psychedelics? <laughs> I've dabbled, you know, I've dabbled a little bit, you know, and, and I think, yeah, it was I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> How did those experiences after, after spending your youth and then adolescence really trying to fit in and then going to college and grad school and finding undoubtedly more diversity for sure, people from all different backgrounds achieving and succeeding um, do you feel like, you know, you said your brother was started his wild journey early on and you kind of held yours back. Do you feel like when you started to party or when you started to have those wild years, did you, did the pendulum swing too far because you'd been repressing it? Or do you feel like you always had a pretty good grip on like moderation? Yeah, I, I have fortunately always had a pretty good grip on moderation. I will tell you like the biggest party days were 
in for me in high school. Um, mm -hmm. That's actually, even though, you know, I, my brother was the wild one, I really did, you know, kind of find my own ways to sort of escape, um, smoked a lot of weed and, mm -hmm. um, you know, drank a lot in high school. Those really were like my biggest party days more, more so even than college. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, um, I didn't, go wild. I've always had a sense of, you know, moderation, thankfully. Um, but at the same time, I think a trend that you could kind of trace back is sort of this focus on distraction and an external reality. And so this form of, of partying and um, was a way of, of really, you know, not doing the inner work. And I think that eventually, um, if we're lucky, we have the opportunity to really go within and our life expands proportionately to the amount that we're on this spiritual journey. And it took a while for me. It took a lot of, you know, a couple really painful relationship experiences, health, um, you know, kind of career turmoil for me to really get in touch with my emotions and, and want to do that inner work. Well, you can't tell me there was massive turmoil and then not tell me about it. <laughs> so what, <laughs> what happened? What were, what led to your, um, spiritual awakening or at least, you know, increasing awareness of there being something internally that, that you know, an internal reality that you needed to explore? What led to that? Yeah. I mean, this is rise to thrive after all, right? <laughs> you want to hear the whole story. Let's hear it all. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's two things really. I think, I mean, I mentioned a series of relationships that were really painful. I was attracting very emotionally unavailable partners and I had a relationship that was extremely beautiful on the surface. And one of the best people I've ever met in my life. So much light, such an amazing human being, but he also had an incredibly dark side that he kept hidden. And when I became aware of that, uh, our relationship really blew up in a monumental crisis-like fashion. And it was shocking and traumatic and what does that mean? You have to tell us more about what the dark side was than that. Was he like killing kittens? Like what was happening without oh, violating his privacy? Like it, was it drug addiction? Was it a sex addiction? Was it, was it sexual violence? Was it like just his own? It was a myriad of addictions. Mm -hmm. It was his own personal pain that was never healed, you know? And so I really, in the very beginning, took the role of the victim. Like, this happened to me. Like, you know, I can't believe this happened. My whole world is crashing down. But after a while, that story really got old. And I really had to look at myself. I believe relationships are beautiful mirrors. And we are so blessed to have teachers that come into our lives and we're able to do this awakening work. And so this relationship served as such a strong catalyst in my life because I had to look at the parts of myself where I was really un uh, 
emotionally unavailable, where I was hiding a lot of, of pain and darkness and look at, you know, some of the things that I was attracting into my life at that time. You know, I had no boundaries. I was a complete people pleaser. And that started sort of my journey of looking within. And at that time, I still you know, had a tendency to distract. So a tendency to bury myself in, in work. And so at that time I was in corporate America, I was work, working for a Fortune 500 company and I wanted to be one of the youngest minority women to be promoted to this really high visibility role um, leading a mark, digital marketing. Um, and I was, you know, it was on my vision board. I was striving for it. I was working around the clock and I finally got it earlier than I expected, you know? Um, and I remember that moment, um, and just expecting to feel elated, you know, like this is what I had been striving mm -hmm. for. And I remember feeling so empty. And just like, oh my gosh, this is never going to end. I'm going to have to work even harder, you know, and just continue that, that cycle. And it was about that time that I experienced a complete dark night of the soul. Like everything in my world was crashing down. It was looking around and I had been so, so focused on this external goal, but my health was falling apart. You know, I had hypothyroidism, I had undergone a major surgery, you know, but still wasn't really looking at that. Um, my relationships in all areas of my life, like with my family, you know, romantic relationships, they really weren't where I wanted them to be. And there was this career that really wasn't giving me the meaning that I was looking for. And How old were you um, when this happened? This was in my 30s. Okay. So you uh, earlier on. really committed for a significant amount of your life to, you know, and you said you always had things in moderation. And as you were saying that, I'm like, maybe, yeah, but you were also overworking, over-exercising occasionally the Adderall use. So it sounds like it was really more of like the control element of, you know, let me be in control of everything in my life. And you had your vision board and like, this is the career that I want and I'm going to get there. And just that really, that really very, um, kind of rigid and in many ways, masculine energy of just like, I'm, I'm striving, I'm going point A to point B. I know what my goals are and I will hustle and grind and work as hard as I have to and drink as much coffee and take as many Adderall as I need to get there in this like accelerated period of time. Yeah, totally. The divine is always looking out for us, right? And how interesting that your physical manifestation of, um, of uh, perhaps like the restriction on your health, hypothyroidism. So you're, you were actually not, your thyroid was not functioning, which is common with, I don't know if common is the right word, but it is, it is something that occurs with people who are working to that burnout kind of energy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I also think there's so many women that suffer from hypothyroidism. And I think that it's totally related to throat chakra. It's like, 
your thyroids right there. It's not speaking your truth, you know, and I totally wasn't, you know, I just got chills all over my body. So one of my friends who I hope to interview on this show coming up is, um, 29 and she has, uh, thyroid cancer, relatively advanced thyroid cancer. She's had her whole thyroid removed and she's done a lot of work around with, um, uh, plant medicine, sacred plant medicine in Peru. And in one of her uh, experiences with Washuma and ayahuasca, she encountered her grandfather who was a dancer and very feminine and was basically oppressed by his own family saying, you know, you can't do this and like, can't speak your truth and whatever. And so in her case, she felt like it was a generational trauma thing that had been passed down generation to generation that kind of landed with her. When you think about a throat chakra blockage for you that manifests in hypothyroidism, do you think it was your truth that you were holding back on? You said you were people pleasing. You said you had no boundaries. Like those definitely correlate to like not using your voice. Um, What do you think you were, if you can specify, like, was there a certain message that you specifically like weren't delivering or, or a certain thing about yourself that you weren't saying, or do you feel like it was just kind of generalized? Like just in general, you're always like, yeah, sure guys, whatever. I'm here to make everyone happy. Like, what do you think formed that in you? Well, you know, I think that there is such a powerful role for meditation and mindfulness, but I think one of the first steps is getting in touch with our emotions and how we feel. And it might sound so crazy if you are somebody that is so in touch and so in tune with your emotions, but I know that there are people out there that are listening that can relate to this. And what happens is if you stuff down your emotions so far and you do not allow yourself to express or to feel and it doesn't feel safe, you become completely disconnected from how you feel. And you're kind of at the whim of other people's emotions and energy. And that's why there is kind of this distraction. And so I believe that part of speaking your truth comes from first understanding, how do I feel? How does this person make me feel? How does this situation make me feel? Am I safe at the core? All of these things that really are so important to our overall well-being. Mm. And, and so that was a really a first step for me is just getting in touch with my emotions, becoming, making my, you know, making friends with those parts of myself. Do you feel like when that was happening that you were aware of it or do you feel like, because I think about my own life and one of the biggest turning points in my life was, you know, after the sugar baby or during the sugar baby years and I was working as a flight attendant, but I was still kind of like living this dual life. Right. Um, and constantly, yeah, constantly swallowing my own, uh, truth or my own needs and covering it up, just like you said, masking it, but I was masking it with a lot of drugs and um, alcohol. And, you know, in order to cope with the lifestyle that I was living, that I was really, that was really out of alignment for me spiritually. Um, But I don't feel like I even necessarily had, it was just like this growing pressure or like discomfort inside of me. Like, 
getting more and more agitated or frustrated at the life I was living, but it wasn't like I necessarily realized like, oh, I need to start telling the truth. It was more like a volcano that one day just like exploded. And I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm going to start telling the truth about everything all the time. Cause I can't, you know what I mean? And, but it, it was like in a, not in like a healthy or productive way, but it was like, you're an asshole. I'm leaving you. This situation slowly fucked up. I'm out of here. I'm moving back to California. My dad's dying. I got to go help them. You know what I mean? Like it was like, and then, you know, with bill collectors and stuff like, yeah, finally answering the phone. I don't have any money for you. Like I'm completely broke. My life is a total mess. Like I'm a drug addict and like got all this going on. And it was like, all of this had been bottled up. And then when I started to express and tell the truth, it was like, just so much. Do you feel like there was a, a turning point for you where you realized I haven't been feeling my feelings and I need to acknowledge them? Was there a specific incident or do you feel like it started to kind of happen gradually? Because for those who are listening, who are like, yeah, I'm with you, Emily, like you know, I don't even know maybe right now, like I, maybe I just don't have that many feelings. Like you probably do. You know what I mean? Everybody's <laughs> different, but you probably do because you might be a human. Right. So how did you become aware? How did the light of awareness start to dawn in your life that you had been suppressing emotions and maybe needed to feel them? Hmm. I think it was a, a quest for understanding. And when I talk about this dark night of the soul, it was it was such a dark moment that I started to pray for faith and just the universe to guide me. And that was really a journey of healing. And it was a journey of understanding and becoming aware and reading every book and listening to podcasts and, you know, sound healing and therapy and really all of the like deeper inner work that I think is so, so valuable. And, um, and on that journey, you just become more aware of who you are as a person. So this dark night of the soul, you had a relationship that was not healthy for you because of his stuff and your stuff combining. And did that relationship was it emotionally or mentally abusive or physically abusive or was the violence really more each of you directing the violence towards yourselves and then just coming together and there not being like a good place to to connect yeah to land? yeah i mean it was like a fairy tale on the on the surface I'll, I'll, you know it really really was it was like and that that was something that i was really good at it was like no fighting in a relationship like everything is perfect we're having so much fun you know mm -hmm. and not really dealing with the the stuff that was happening beneath the surface did you get sick with a hypothyroidism or realize that you were having that health issue during that relationship was that chronologically like after that in time no it was actually earlier it was earlier yeah so when you when you say this dark night of soul what was the lowest point and if you can talk to us about it like experientially so we can be there with you like when if was there a moment where you realized like oh I'm not okay <laughs> yeah uh, I remember like I was going through a lot and I don't you know, open up, like I, you know, didn't at the time have a super close relationship with my mom. And I remember confiding in her and just sharing what was on my heart. And she said something like, you know, there's some things that are just meant to talk to a therapist about. 
Ouch. And that hurts so bad, but it was such a blessing because it honestly was such a turning point in our relationship. It really was. That was the catalyst in our relationship. And I was like, you know what? This isn't the type of relationship that I want to have with you. I, and I really took ownership of that. And, you know, I want a relationship with my mom where I can confide in her and have, you know, and, you know, we're all just doing the best that we can. She didn't have that with her mom. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, but we, through that work, were able to really transform and go deep and rewrite a new story. And that's such a blessing because, you know, a lot of people aren't able to do that in, in an entire lifetime and it carries over. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it is like your most painful moments that can turn into true blessings. But I was just in a really dark place. I was searching. Um, I was, you know, having so much depression, so much anxiety. And just like, I knew that there was something else. I knew that there was something more and that it was really that, that, you know, inspired the creation of my company, Soul Media, because it was this quest for knowledge and things that I uncovered along the way, but I had to, you know, dig here and find this book and find this healer and go on my own journey. And I was like, gosh, you know, how can we make this more accessible? You know, the world is craving connection and inspiration. And, you know, that's why I absolutely love what you share through your social media, through this show, because you're telling a different kind of story and it's a story that people need to hear. It's not all, I'm killing it. You know, my life is perfect. You know, we, if you look at the trend of media, which I'm kind of obsessed with looking at, mm-hmm. you know, we went through this phase of reality television, which was anything but real. Right. And, you know, and I think people are craving vulnerability more than ever before and connection. And so it was really through that journey of understanding what is happening with media and that we need to tell a different story. We need, we can use, we can harness the tools of media and marketing for good Mm -hmm. and tell a different story. And I think that's from a marketing perspective, what brands are missing as well is just this authenticity of connecting with their truth and being able to tell their story in a meaningful way. So when you, um, when did you start your own company? When did you, you had this high level digital marketing job for a multi-billion dollar international company, this big, it was your biggest goal professionally that you had had. When did you leave and start your own company? This, journey probably took me between six and six months and a year of really searching and find discovering that this is what I wanted to create, what I wanted to bring forward into the world and, you know, getting really clear on my why and what I wanted to create. And I left my job in corporate America, um, about a year after that. What year was that? Do you know? Uh, that was 2016. Okay. So you've had three years of self-employment. How's it going? (laughs) 
it's going it's going great it's an amazing journey honestly it i've learned so much and grown as a person through the experiences on my journey and um i mean there's ups and downs for sure mm -hmm. So one of the things that I am really passionate about is sharing what I call the, the shame-busting truth-telling stories of visionaries, healers, thought leaders, modern-day mystics, entrepreneurs. And the reason for that is exactly what you just said, that we have, you know, um, it is swinging the opposite direction now, but I would say from 2013 to about 2016 or 17, there was very much this trend the influencer, the rise of the influencer, right? On social media, which was, hey, let me, you know, um, Photoshop my life basically and make everything look perfect. And, you know, I'm constantly selling you these products and right, things like that. And I feel like, at least for me, it's, it has swung the opposite direction. But one of the things that I think is really important that we be transparent with people about what the entrepreneurial journey is really like, because it's, yeah, some months are great. And some months you're like, man, I just made $30,000 this month and this was dope. You know what I mean? And then other times it's not like that. And I, I, I think, you know, for myself, because I'm human and I'm, I'm on this journey of healing, I have become acutely aware this year that my business is a, is a mirror, is a direct reflection of whatever is going on inside me and whatever energy I'm carrying. And when I am in that more masculine energy, A to B, get shit done, like we got this, we're crushing it. Yeah. Then I'm, you know, so far that's been the time that I've had these huge money months, right? When I'm in this feminine energy, like that's like where I am right now is figuring out how to be in this feminine energy of receiving, allowing, um, being really honest and authentic and talking about the things that matter and still being successful in monetizing that because the value that I'm serving to people is something that people are really looking for. But I have to be honest, it's not, it's not easy right now to figure out how to navigate that space. So I feel like you're in that space. You have soul media, you have soul collective, like you're, you're talking about, you know, divine feminine and social, like social issues and being socially conscious. Are you, I'm like, are you making any money? Are you okay over there? Like, how, how is it going for you with um, monetizing a socially conscious media company? And like, what has that journey really been like? Like the, the, the high points and the low points, if there have been any low points. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I, I, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you that, you know, your business is such a mirror to what's happening in your inner reality and your energy. And so it's a beautiful mirror because you can see all, you know, the beliefs. For me, the biggest learning has been some of the limiting beliefs that I've carried along with me that I really want to clear. And that is like, I need to work harder than everyone else in order to be successful. And, you know, I don't deserve X, right? Um, I really started out pretty big. And what I mean by that is just a big team, big revenue, a lot of responsibility. And that kind of mirrored sort of what I had known in my life. Right. And, um, I realized that I was providing for like everyone on my team and 
completely exhausting myself. I was working around the clock and I just thought like, oh, well, if I just can keep this up, if I can just keep this up, you know, it's going to be great. And you get to a breaking point. And I feel like every entrepreneur has probably gone through that where it's like really understanding what your own personal boundaries are, um, the importance of pouring your own cup first and making sure that you have that, that work-life balance. That was a huge learning lesson for me. Um, but you know, really just getting in touch with my worth, um, has been a journey as well, because when you're making a lot of money and I, and I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but it, it is like feeling, understanding that you deserve it. And, um, you know, you tracked whatever you're ready for and whatever you believe that you can receive. And so I think, I mean, gosh, there's been so many lessons. One of the biggest things is just starting ugly. I know that a lot of people out there who are listening, it might be, they might have something on their heart that they want to create. And I feel like there's such a fear these days of sucking mm-hmm. in the beginning. You know what I mean? And like, we see people on social media that are like absolutely killing it, but we don't see the first podcast that they did, the first, you know, sales call that they tried to attempt, you know, all of those things. And I feel like if those, if that journey was a little bit more accessible to people, people would realize that like, okay, we're all human it's scary to start anything. We're, we're human. So we crave certainty, mm-hmm. right? And we try to avoid uncertainty and pain. And so I think my biggest advice is just starting ugly and being okay with sucking in the beginning. It's really funny because like, for me, I had more fear around starting my podcast than I did around starting my business. And was that just a familiarity issue or was it related to that throat chakra, maybe resistance of like attention being on you? Cause it sounds like when you started your company, you said you started pretty big. You were, you doing a digital marketing agency? Did you leave and do your own agency? Is that what you were doing? Yeah. I don't like the word agency, but like, but essentially, yeah, we were like a firm and still work with clients, um, really functioning as an in-house extension of their, their marketing teams. So you took what you had done for another massive company and said, I can do this. Let me build a team and let me go my own way. So yeah, a lot of people when they're starting their entrepreneurial journey, many people, not, not all, but many are starting smaller or they're starting, you know, solo and you kind of had the opposite experience or a different experience. And so I think when those people are starting solo, there is right from the jump, more of the experience of like, okay, the attention's on me, the focus on me, because my business is me, right? But you weren't necessarily having that experience. You were still able to be like, my business is my business. It's this organization. You know what I mean? I'm doing these funny things with my hands. And then it was like, when it came time for you to do your podcast, that was you allowing yourself to actually be seen and heard. And there's no... The thing with podcasting, this is what I tell people I love about it is it's like, there's, you can't really pretend, you know what I mean? Like you can, and then it just kind of gets awkward and weird. Like if you're (laughs) going to have a conversation, it has to be this open free flowing kind of energy. And, and it, it, it puts us in a place where like, 
there is no filter. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can edit podcasts after the fact. I don't. I mean, I edit out the the beginning and the end when I'm just like babbling about whatever. But you know, it's like the most, I think, authentic form of communication. So it's really interesting that you're just like, yeah, I'm gonna like I'm gonna dive in and I'm gonna podcast. And I know yours is do you do solo episodes? Like, do you just talk to your listeners? So you're really allowing yourself to be witnessed. Yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> it is. And you got it absolutely right. And it's true because when we are, for me, like allowing myself to be vulnerable, to be authentic, to be seen was scarier for me than, you know, starting this big business, you know, but it's a good lesson because it also gives me more joy than anything else I do. And I love it. Like, I just love hearing about people's journeys. I love exploring conversations that are, you know, what we don't talk about in surface level conversation. But one thing also about that too, is that like, I think anything that we do that's worth doing is because of the sheer passion and the joy that it brings us and it's not about the external results because do I see you know this huge ROI or return or you know for my podcast no but do I absolutely love it does it light me up yes and am I willing to stick with it for the long haul absolutely and I think you know part of the problem with social media and the, the world of media that we're living in today is that we're seeing the outcomes, but we're not seeing what's invested in into things. And in order to invest into anything, it takes patience, it takes faith, it takes focus, it takes gratitude, you know, all of those things. And time. It also takes time. <laughs> Fuck yeah. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. I think so. that's important because there is Um, especially within like the coaching culture, which you're, you're, you're in the personal development culture now too, right? Like, so coaching and personal development, we all are still kind of, um, running this narrative of get rich quick, even though, you know, not everybody and not all the time, but it's still very much a normative value that we're, that we're all kind of propagating. Right. And I found myself falling into it. Like, I mean, I was going to say recently, like really recently, like two months ago, I was launching a product that was a business coaching product. And I got midway through the marketing campaign and I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't like, or really believe in the tagline that I've ascribed to this, this project, which is 60 days to 5k. Right. So I did a project and it was 60 days to 5k was the, the subtitle, if you will. And I was like, man, you know, who's my ideal client? I'm talking to these women, right? Spiritual, multi-passionate, creative women in yoga, wellness, and the arts. Like these are women who have depth, right? And I'm still, I'm still running this narrative of like, hey, in 60 days from now, you can have X amount of money, or you can have the foundation for X amount of money in your business, which actually is antithetical to like what I really want to teach because the truth, and I'd love to hear where you are on this. The truth is that Stoked Yogi was a blog in 2011. In 2013, I was still working for somebody else and Stoked Yogi was kind of backburnered, right? It wasn't until 2014 that I like started my business and it was just, it was just me. And then it was 
three years, it wasn't until 2017 that we showed profit on taxes. And then it wasn't until 2018, late 2018, early 2019. So this year that I was able to pay myself a, what is a living wage here in San Diego, pay myself $6,000 a month, like to actually provide for my family. It took five years, five long years. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I literally would not and, and our stories are very different because we were coming from two different places. We had two different business models. We had two different structures. We had two different sets of experience, but I wouldn't have been able to make it through that five years without outside support, without a business loan, without my husband being able to pay our actual bills. And I think that's really important because we tend to kind of, like you said, focus on the result and be like, yeah, you know, I have a million dollar company. Yay. That's like, wait, what about all the years that you were like crying because your accountant was like, if you don't start showing a profit, like this is a hobby, you're going to get audited. Right. So can you share this, your kind of pull back the curtain and like, what's the actual journey of entrepreneurship and your ups and downs in it? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love this so much because I think that there is a place to share our successes and our wins. And that is so inspiring. And I know I feel inspired because it's like, oh wow, we all are one. And if, you know, she can achieve that amazing results, you know, like, so can I, that is possible. So I love that. And there is definitely a place to share that, but I think it's equally important to share the challenges that we've been through and the tough times and the times where we felt like giving up because what happens, and I was just talking to a woman this morning and she just left her corporate job and she's facing a lot of fear and anxiety and like, can I pay the mortgage? You know, like what, what is happening, you know? And that is a really real feeling. But if she felt like I'm the only one who goes through this when they try to start something new and try to, you know, face change, then of course you, you, you would convince yourself that I'm not good enough. Like I can't do this, you know? And so I, so yes, yes, hundred percent. Like, I think we just need to tell those stories for me, like personally, um, the first year was so on adrenaline. Like I was working around the clock that I literally had adrenal fatigue mm -hmm. and I simultaneously was planning my wedding and so there was just like so much going on, you know, it was just like kind of a, a blur. And I came in um, to the second year and really had to look at, it was like, we went to Bali on our honeymoon and it was all about like getting in touch with the divine feminine and really embracing a new way. And that's hard to learn. So I love how you kind of describe my journey as like reverse engineering because it was, it was still deconstructing like, okay, do you want to make a lot of money and work around the clock? Or do you want to have this balance? Do you want to be able to balance the divine feminine and masculine and, you know, have a fuller, richer life? And that isn't an easy process. Um, and so that's been definitely a journey that I've been on um, and really like looking at my business and what I really feel called to be doing. And that's why, you know, we've, I've done events since I was, 
in college and I absolutely love it. I believe in digital, but I believe in digital in combination with events because I think people are craving human connection more than ever before. And that's where we really move the needle for our clients is like creating digital campaigns around events and bringing people together. And I know that, that you believe in this as well. Um, but that's why I'm really so excited to be launching, you know, an event in, in the spring. Tell, so that, yeah, I mean, for me, what I've said with, with social media all along is like, I'm cool with digital as long as it serves analog. You know what I mean? Like I want to connect with you in the digital realm. And I hope that someday that leads to a hug. Like that's my, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, that's really warm and fuzzy and lovely. But um, I think that everybody's looking for a space to be seen and heard. And that's why social media is what it is. The crazy wild beast that it is, is because we all want to be witnessed, right? And we, yes, we want that little dopamine hit of like the red notification icon or the likes or the comments or whatever, but what's underneath that desire for that dopamine hit is wanting to be seen, wanting to be acknowledged. And I think we're starved for it. So I believe that in-person events are, are super, super, super important um, because we're, we're making ourselves sick, really, being on social media the way that we are. So tell us a little bit. We have the opportunity to come and connect with you at Shine. Is it Shine? It's not a retreat. It's a one day. Shine yeah, it's a one, yeah, one day conference in March, March 21st, um, it, which is basically all about mind, body, and soul, helping women step out of fear, overcome limiting beliefs, and really launch their dreams, like kicking off the new year, like really providing the resources, the connection, the inspiration to be able to bring to life what is on your heart. That's so beautiful. So we'll put some information on that in the show notes. Um, Emily, you talk about overcoming fear, overcoming limiting beliefs, and you shared two of your biggest limiting beliefs that you said that, um, you know, I have to work harder than anybody else in order to make money or the kind of money that I want to make. Um, and you also said that, you know, there was a limiting belief that you were running that you didn't deserve maybe the success that you had or the money that you had in your work with women and in your own, um, journey of, of personal development, do you find that there are common threads to these limiting beliefs that help us identify and then unravel them? Mm, that's a great question. I feel like I'm not enough is a really common belief. Another one that I've seen and I've, I've shared is like, I've missed, I've missed the boat. <laughs> Everyone else is it's on the boat. Yep. It's, too, it's late. too late. Like I'm too old. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, and I'm too, so I think, yeah, I think I'm not enough. I don't deserve it for some reason. Like I don't deserve the happiness. I don't deserve the- Well, I think, yeah, that one's kind of related to like, if you knew who I really was, you know, if you could see the real me, you would know that I don't deserve it too, because I'm wrong or bad or, you know, I'm not good enough. Right. It kind of circles back to that one. What else? Um, those are the main ones. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, connected enough. I don't have the resources. I mean, 
So one of the things that I like to work with myself on and other people um, is deconstructing those limiting beliefs. So do you have a good, like tangible process that you can share with our listeners right now? If they're like, yeah, I know I'm not enough. So how do I fix it? (laughs) Can you tell us how we, how we heal that? Well, I would love to hear your process. You know, I think that for me, it has been becoming aware, becoming so crystal clear and aware of the voice in my head. Um, I feel like sometimes we can be so busy or so distracted that it's just, there's a lot of voices going on. There's a lot of mind chatter. And I think the awareness and becoming still and recognizing, oh, that is that voice that is saying X, that is saying that I am not good enough and tracing it back and understanding where did that come from in my childhood? Because we all have trauma or pain or some some type of experience that led to that belief being harbored in the subconscious. And the biggest thing, I mean, I think that brain is such a fascinating tool. I think that we don't know how to utilize our brains to the the fullest capacity. And so one of the things is really just understanding the subconscious, how our subconscious mind works. I'm really big on neuro-linguistic programming and really creating a new, new anchor point. So if you feel scared, if you feel a lack of confidence, really anchoring to a point where you didn't feel fear, where you were able to overcome that and how, what that feeling felt like. Because the more anchor points that we can create, the more that we can believe in ourselves. And sometimes it's just little steps, you know? Sometimes it is just facing the fear of writing an email or having a hard conversation or, you know, putting ourselves out there in a way that we're not used to. Like even sharing something vulnerable on social media and seeing the response of like, thank you for sharing that story because that really impacted my life just to know that somebody else is going through that. So I feel like the more that we can attach to those anchor points where we overcome fear, the easier it'll become. And the more that we can rewrite rewrite the story for ourselves. Thank you for that. I love that. Um, I want to have ask you to expand on that just a little bit for the person who is I think it's interesting, the couple things that you mentioned, struggling to write that email, struggling to have that difficult conversation or wanting to share a vulnerable post. Again, all of those blockages of my my communication and expression, um, as you started to heal the people pleasing in yourself and this resistance to being vulnerable and visible yourself, was it like ripping off a band-aid? Like, do you just do it? Or was there, you know, a, like you said, anchoring into a time that you felt really confident and then just like hit send, call the person on the phone. Like for those who are still feeling like, yes, I'm so ready. And I, I know, and I want to be more, especially with the vulnerability on social media. Cause I just get this a lot from people. They're like, so amazing. How do you do it? And I'm like, you know, I've been a decade now in the practice of showing up and telling the truth. And that literally being something that was given to me by God as like, here's what you're supposed to do with your life. Show up, love people, tell the truth. Right. So when you have it as a divine mandate, 
it does make it a little bit easier, I think. Um, and also practice makes it a little bit easier. So like, I'm kind of, I'm 10 years down the road into it. So you guys are like, man, Amelia has a big mouth. She's always talking about everything. Yeah. I have a lot of practice. Um, but what would you tell the person who's like, I haven't even dipped a toe in that pool. And I've got this whole life of stuff that I want to unpack because I know it's going to help me be in service to humanity, but I'm just so scared to say anything. Hmm. Well, first just having compassion because you're not alone. I feel like so many people are holding back from their truth and going after their dreams in a full way. And that, so that is really, there's a lot of programs that keep us small and so just feeling really a lot of compassion for yourself for, for holding on to that, that truth and that dream and knowing that you will be able to express that if that is your heart's desire. It just takes some time. And like you said, some practice and some rituals around it. One thing that I think is really good to get clear on is the fact that life is really short. And the number one regret of people when they're dying is not the things that they did. It's the chances that they didn't take. It's the dreams that they, they put on hold. And, you know, I hate to re reference corporate America because some people are thriving in corporate and they're having a great experience, but you can always see somebody that is living someone else's dream and they settled and you can see that in their eyes and in their soul. You can feel it. Mm -hmm. And it's such a sad feeling. Do not let that dream mm -hmm. slip away. I mean, really, because that at the end of the day, it goes by so quickly. And that's what we're here for. We're here to learn and grow. We're here to express. We're here to make mistakes. And those are scary things, you know, but we, you know, it's such a, a more fulfilling journey if we take those chances. And it just takes baby steps to be able to put yourself more out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that, you know, so often when we actually un unravel our limiting beliefs, there's this fear around, you know, there's a fear around effort. Well, like, what if I do it? What if I put all this effort in and it doesn't work? You know, there's the fear around results. What if I, you know, strive for this thing and then it doesn't turn out the way I expect it to or imagine it to? There's a fear around identity. You know, I've never been the person to do that thing, or I've never done that thing before. So how can I now do that thing? But what all of those limiting beliefs do is they hold you in the exact experience that you're saying you're afraid of, right? Because you're saying, I'm afraid that it's not going to happen. I'm afraid that it is going to happen and I'm not going to be able to, to handle it. Right. I'm afraid that, um, I'm going to, I'm going to try and I'm going to fail. Well, guess what? If you don't do anything, you're already in the exact experience that you're saying you're afraid of. You're already in the experience of not having it. And you've, you know, effectively chalked up a, I'm going to put it in air quotes, like a failure for yourself, but you didn't even have the experience of, of the feedback of the information of the data that you could collect from trying, which would show you so much about yourself, about, you know, the environment that you're that you're trying to grow in. So I'm with you, girl. Like, I think, you know, I watched my dad die and my father-in-law die and my grandmother die and, and, uh, just very aware that like, we're all heading there. We're all absolutely going to die. Um, at least get rid of this shell. 
And what do you want to, what do you want your legacy to be? And I don't mean that in the way of like, you know, do you want to have a statue with your name on it? But like, you know, what do you want to leave energetically in this world? And that is going to be the ways in which you poured into other people. That is going to be the ways in which you created change. And, and more than even a, the, either of those, it's just going to be the energy that you are emitting in every interaction with the people around you. So like the thing that you want to do, I think Emily, you and I are completely aligned in this, like your dreams exist for a reason. Like it's not an accident that you have that deep desire in you. It's, it's there for a purpose. And if you choose to spend your life ignoring it, that's a choice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I know. And I know exactly what you mean. And I think that Brene Brown has a quote and I don't remember exactly, but it's, it's something like creativity unused is dangerous. And so it's not just the fact that it remains dormant inside of us. It's that those dreams that we're putting on side, aside will actually cause us pain in the long run and be dangerous. And so it, because they're, like you said, they're meant for us for a reason. If we're not fully expressing then our soul's purpose is not being fully actualized. And so just taking the step forward. And I love how you talked about failing too, because sometimes just getting really comfortable with the worst case outcome and understanding, okay, well, what would look that look like if I failed? What would that feel like? Really getting comfortable with that and realizing that it's not the end of the world. And that it's also literally a required part of any process of success. We don't get success, what we label success, without failures. Like, if you look at science, all science is is a bunch of failures that then led to some sort of theory or hypothesis that could be accepted, right? But the entire premise of scientific experimentation is on let's try stuff stuff and find out all of the stuff that fails so we can figure out the stuff that works. Right. Um, and I think too, you know, the spiritual experience of going into self-awareness and meditation is also this, I don't know if it's necessarily a process of failure, but it's certainly a journey in which like, you don't, most people don't sit down to meditate and they're like, Oh, Turiya Samadhi, I'm enlightened, did that in a 20 <laughs> meditation, good for me, right? So it's this, these, these, these really valuable experiences or the things that we really want or the, the expression of your, your dream, the failures are part of it. They're such an important, necessary part of the process. And, and they are what sift you and refine you and mold you and shape you and and soften you and do all the it's like I think of like a sculptor sculpting this beautiful marble sculpture like you know the 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 sculpture sculpture has the idea right this and we all have that that's the dream seed it's just the idea but then he has this big brick of marble which is resistance right and with infinite time and attention and patience and care chiseling away at all of this resistance to reveal the embodiment or the expression of the dream, right? 
but it doesn't happen. You can't have the statue without the marble. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, it's just an idea and nobody else can see it. Um, All right. So, um, so Emily, you said that you spent a lot of years looking for the resources that would help you have the experience of self-awareness that you're having now, have the experience of, of exploring the divine feminine that you're having now. If you had to um, recommend to us a book or a couple books that you feel like are, were really impactful in your journey that you would recommend to anyone um, who's resonating with what we talked about today, what books would you steer them to? Take us to the book club. Oh gosh, I love, love, love reading. Um, I Before Agreements is one of my all-time favorite books by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, I've read a lot of books by Joe Dispenza, who I think is absolutely brilliant. Um, One of my favorite authors is Penny Pierce. She's written 10 books all on intuition, frequency, transparency. Uh, Her books are life-changing. Those are some of, I mean, Deepak Chopra, gosh, there's just so many, but those are some of my favorites. Penny Pierce. I'm like excited because I've never heard of her. So I'm looking forward to reading it. You said Joe Dispenza, Penny Pierce, Deepak. What was the first one you said? Don Miguel Ruiz. Oh yeah. The Four Agreements. That's yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and then if we w- were only going to connect for like 30 seconds to a minute, if we were in an elevator together and you had that amount of time to impact me, to share, you know, a piece of wisdom or a piece of advice or something that, um, that you feel like is really meaningful or could course correct somebody who's maybe ignoring that dream seed. What, what would you tell them? What, what's the best, most powerful piece of confidence or personal development advice that you could share? I would remind you of your power. You are a powerful creator and there are a lot of forces that kind of dim our light and keep us small, but just remember how powerful you are. And if you are given a dream or a vision, it is given to you for an absolute reason. And you have every right to shine and bring your dreams forward. And the more that we allow ourselves that ability to shine and speak our truths, the more that the world begins to shift around us. Thank you so much for that. You also shared with us the um, quote by E.E. Cummings that I think is so beautiful, and I'd love to offer it to, to us, to our listeners now. And it says, to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best day and night to make you like everybody else means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight and never stop fighting. Are you doing that? Yes. Are you? Yes. Yes. (laughs) We're doing it. And we hope that as you're listening to this, that you are inspired and motivated to do that as well. You're hearing from Emily Gosh Harris, who is a 
powerful leader in the media industry. This woman knows what what works in this day and age to connect, to resonate with, with people out there. And it starts with remembering that they are people, that they are real humans who are looking for that witnessing, who are looking for that acknowledgement, who are looking to know that they're not alone. Um, so you guys, please go connect with Emily on social media. If they want to connect with you further, where can they, what's the best place to find you on um, Instagram and the web? I'm on Instagram, Emily Gosh Harris. My personal website is I am Emily, emilyharris.com and our company is soulmediaglobal.com. All right, you guys heard it here first. Go follow Emily on Instagram. She shares beautiful content. Make sure you subscribe to her show. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today and share um, how you've deconstructed and reconstructed the American dream. Um, and overcome limiting beliefs to live this beautiful expression of life that you're sharing now. That was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye, friends. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories, tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.